Hello, everyone. This is Alien Talk Podcast, a program where we discuss all things about aliens and UFOs and where we always push the limits of our understanding. We are Joe Landry and Lori Oford here with you again as we get close to the Christmas holiday. And actually, today starts the eight day Jewish festival of Hanukkah. So happy Hanukkah to those of you who are celebrating. And, you know, this is just a great time of year. It's always been my favorite season, full of memories, full of nostalgia. Uh, just lots of traditions, tons of traditions, tons of stories, tons of symbols and character imagery. It really, it is probably the most eclectic and heterogeneous holiday there is, uh, as so much about it is derived from over the course of so many centuries and from so many cultures. Um, no other holiday is quite like it. So welcome, everybody. And hey, Laurie, Merry Christmas to you. Hey, Joe. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you as well. And uh, yeah, you're you're right. There's definitely a lot to the whole totality of the Christmas tradition. But of course, we can't forget, nor will any devout Christian let us forget <laughs> the uh, story of the Nativity, the incarnation of the Son of God through the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And that story in and of itself is a, uh, a conglomeration of many different scriptural and doctrinal narratives. And we see that two different accounts from, well, one from the Gospel of Matthew and the other from the Gospel of Luke are combined into one story. And while most people know the story of the Nativity, most probably aren't aware of just how much the Gospel narratives are historically inaccurate and just how much they are inconsistent. Yeah, and the Nativity is really a a mystery. As, like you said, Laurie, there are only two accounts of it by which the Christmas story. Uh, becomes a sort of amalgamate, amalgamation of what is written in Matthew and Luke, as you know, the Gospels of Mark and John say nothing about the birth of Jesus. Uh, there is no textual evidence in existence by which we can deduce a firsthand eyewitness chronicle of what actually happened. So we're left with a lot of gaps. Uh, nonetheless, the tale of the biblical nativity is something that is believed by 2.2 billion people around the world uh, and to have truly have happened, actually, exactly as it is told. So that makes you wonder, right? If something like the Star of Bethlehem is accepted on faith to have actually been a real occurrence, simply because it is mentioned in the Bible, then what if another astral occurrence was included in the Christian canon? Would that too be believed by the same number of people? Of course, the astral occurrence we're referring to is what is said to have happened to the pre-flood prophet and patriarch Enoch who was also the great-grandfather of Noah, and who got what seems to have been the chance to take part in a prehistoric flight into outer space. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and what is said to have happened to him is described in a manuscript called the Book of Enoch, which is not uh, included in the Bible, at least not the, not the ones most of us are familiar with. Uh, however, much of, of what is found is also mentioned in the uh, scriptures, such as, you know, how Satan and the demons had fallen from heaven, how the sons of God mated with daughters of men to bring forth the Nephilim, the giants, uh, how the angels shine forth light and how God sits on a throne of glory. Actually, there are over 120 verses, mostly in the New Testament, that parallel passages found in the uh, book of Enoch. Now, of course, we've covered this before by explaining how many parts of the Bible allude to what seem to be encounters with alien beings and their technology. But the 
Book of Enoch is so saturated with imagery of celestial drama. Yeah, and of course, we've talked before about how Zacharias Sitchin and Eric von Danigan both heavily elaborated on that theory that the Book of Enoch contains documentary evidence of ancient astronauts. So the book is excluded from the Bible format with which we're familiar. Uh, if you pick up any Bible from any store, you're not going to find the Book of Enoch in it. However, there are many references to it in the Bible, and and actually is considered to be uh, canonical in the Eastern East. I'm sorry, in the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. Um, the most complete manuscript of it is in the Ethiopic text dating to the first century A.D., and it is also not included in the Tanakh, which is the Jewish canon, as it is not considered authoritative, uh, since it made a, it makes apocryphal use of parts of the Torah. The rabbis would not allow or any extra or hidden depictions of uh, that were made about something that is considered to be the work of Moses, which is what the, they considered Torah to be, a work of Moses. Uh, so they rejected it. And it was also not included in the Septuagint, which is what the early Christians used when they were going to the uh, Old Testament sources. So since it wasn't in that, it didn't become part of the Bible, at least for most uh, churches. Uh, but there's something intriguing to note about the literary composition of the Book of Enoch, Laurie, and that is that it comes from around the same period of time that we find a tremendous amount of Messianic writing. And that period of time is between the 2nd century B.C. to the 2nd century A.D. And, of course, this is the time of the setting for the New Testament, which is why it's fitting that we uh, discuss Enoch during Christmas time. Uh, you know, the story of Jesus' birth is impregnated with celestial importance, to put it plainly. Things were said to have happened in the sky when he comes on scene, you know, that being the, the star of Bethlehem, the heavenly host appearing before the shepherds with their flocks at night, uh, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove at Jesus' baptism. And truly, truly, we find that much of the literature from around this time emphasizes the changes taking place within the heavens that signify the spectacular fulfillment of prophecies. You know, things like Gnosticism, Hermeticism, Neoplatonism, Mithraism, and Jewish mystical thinking all sprout up within these centuries from which, subsequently, Christianity also rises. In Matthew 3, 1, we see that John the Baptist is proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven is near. But in fact, this message was one that was repeated again and again from many sources during this time. And it is during this time that the book of Enoch is composed. Right. So we're going to cover the Book of Enoch in two parts over this holiday season as the writing of it originates from the same time period as the story of Jesus does, that being the Roman era. And as it is, we do see quite a few scriptural connections between the two. Uh, we also think the Book of Enoch is an important enough piece of literature that it deserves to be thoroughly discussed and we think there is evidence found within it that strongly supports the notion of extraterrestrial encounters from, from the past. Now, Enoch is indeed a biblical figure. Uh, he is mentioned, after all, in Genesis 5, 22 and 23, where it says he was 365 years old and that he walked with God and then he was not, for God took him away. So yeah, he is one of only two people who are said to have bypassed death to, you know, being simply taken away, the other one being uh, Elijah. While Jesus is said to have been, you know, brought back to uh, to life and ascended, um, and ascended into heaven, he still experienced death. 
Enoch and Elijah did not. Uh, in a way, these these sound almost like what you would call abductions with them taken being taken away from Earth and you know not ever being seen again. Yeah, and the book of Enoch is really more like an anthology of a work from various scribes. It's a collection of different texts compiled together into three separate manuscripts, sometimes referred to as uh, one Enoch and two Enoch and three Enoch. Uh, actually, there are a few others as well, and copies of them have been found in different languages that span from G's in Ethiopia to Aramaic and Palestine to Slavic in Central Europe. And different segments seem to have been written by different individuals, uh, actually at least five. For instance, in chapters uh, 72 through 81 in, in, in one Enoch, there is a repeat of the description of his vision of the luminaries of the heavens that is the same one give, he gives in chapters 14 through 36. Now, this is not uncommon, as many books of the Bible seem to have more than one source author, such as the book of Daniel, the gospel of Mark, and the entire Pentateuch. Also, one Enoch was found among the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were written sometime in the 2nd or even the 3rd century B.C., and they are all fragmentary. We'll be back after a quick break. Hi, and welcome to Hiss and Tell, a cat podcast where we delve deep into the fascinating world of feline behavior with your host, me, Christina Wilson, a professional animal behaviorist. Each episode features insightful discussions with leading veterinarians, dedicated researchers and scientists, experts in cat behavior and training, and so much more. Join me as we decode the complexities of pet loss, unravel the mysteries of feline health and behavior, and discover the latest research findings. I'll meet you at Hiss and Tell. Yeah, you mentioned, Joe, that there are a few others, but there actually are many others in what is known as pseudepigraphic uh, manuscripts uh, from those centuries that are around the beginning of the Christian era. Some are about Enoch, uh, such as the Epistles of Enoch, the Book of the Watchers, the Book of Jubilees, the Testament of the Twelve Patriarchs. But there's also others like the Book of Adam, uh, the Book of Noah, First and Second Estrus, um, all of which are you know, mostly fragmentary copies in various languages, yet they all seem to refer to the dawning of a new age, one that is told uh, by signs in the skies. Right, and then we also find it in the epistles of the apostles Paul and John with the anticipation of a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, Jesus says the same in the Gospels. But the tradition of Enoch is a complex and convoluted one. Uh, the second book of Enoch, uh, also called The Secrets of Enoch, for instance, is of the Slavonic text, and it actually dates to the Middle Ages, probably from Prague. It's a little different than the Ethiopic one because it describes heaven and earth more from a, a medieval kind of uh, perspective. And, of course, it's completely redacted from a much, uh, much earlier Greek text, but nonetheless, it has made its way into schools of metaphysical thought throughout Eastern Europe. Uh, and then there is also the third book of Enoch, which is considered far less authoritative as the, it describes visions uh, said to have been those of the rab Jewish rabbi Ishmael, who lived in Ju Judea uh, after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. You know, but for all practical purposes, when we're talking about the book of Enoch, we mean first Enoch, uh, called the Ethiopic text. Uh, that one seems to be the oldest one. And actually, according to an article by Luke Wayne with the uh, Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry, 
dated January 6, 2020, the label One Enoch is used to distinguish it from other pseudographic scripts uh, that had been written or been claimed to have been written by the prophet. So, yes, uh, we have covered this before. Actually, way back in one, in one, uh, sec, one, uh, uh, was it uh, our second okay. and third yeah, episode? I'll, I'll back on, going way back was our second and third episodes when we started the podcast. Yeah. 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 Which were um, about the, the one about the alien angels and the alien DNA. And one of the most distinctive uh, features that uh, stick out in the Book of Enoch is the dimension of the Watchers and of the Nephilim, which is briefly referred to in Genesis 6, 1. And it reads, um, <clears throat> it says here, uh, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them. It goes on with uh, the, the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. But this is really the extent that the book of Genesis covers the sons of God, a.k.a. the the watchers and the daughters of men. In verses 3 through 6, we find God limiting man's days to 120 years and giants, the Nephilim, being on the earth and the wickedness going on that really upset God. But in Enoch 7 and 1, in contrast to Genesis 6, 1, we learn about the sons of God in a more comprehensive account. It says, and this is what Enoch 7.1 says, And it came to pass when the children of men had multiplied, that in those days were born unto them beautiful and comely daughters. And the angels of, or the angels, the children of heaven, saw and lusted after them, and said to one another, Come, let us choose us wives from among the children of men, and beget us children. Yeah, and it goes on in verses 7 and 8 to say that an actual number of them, uh, 200, uh, descended upon Mount Hermon, and they became better known as the Watchers. And it said uh, that it taught mankind secret knowledge, specifically sorcery. Now, I was able to get a view of Mount Hermon when I visited Israel many years ago. It's about 10,000 feet in elevation, and according to Enoch, this is where an actual extraterrestrial encounter may have happened as this is where the fallen angels, uh, uh, the, the watchers, had landed. But you know, Lori, there is there's, uh, something else fascinating about the concept of sons of God mating with daughters of men, and that is found in the way uh, of, in chapter 106, where Enoch says that the wife of his grandson, Lemek, uh, gives birth to, to Noah, uh, and the baby has flesh as white as snow and red as a rose, uh, long hair as white as wool, and beautiful eyes that, when opened, they illuminated everything like the sun. Clearly, an exaggeration, uh, just like with the, the, the statements about giants being taller than pyramids. They're exaggerations. Uh, but the description of the eyes could be alluding to uh, what is known to be a genetic color mutation in the eye color, in the eyes of Homo sapiens. Um, now, it goes on to say that Lemek uh, goes to his father. And he turns to his father, Methuselah, and says that the child was not human, but the offspring of the angels of heaven. Methuselah, in turn, uh, goes to his father, who is Enoch, and he tells him about this. What Enoch declares to Methuselah sounds oddly similar to what the angel tells Joseph in his dream in Matthew 1, 20-22, which is basically uh, not to be afraid to take the wife and the child as his own, because the child will save the world. So here in the book of Enoch, we find that the same theme 
of a woman being impregnated by one from heaven. Uh, only here it is not a, meta, a metaphysical theme as it is in the gospel, uh, that by which Mary is believed to have been conceived, Jesus is uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, whereas that by which Lamech's wife is said to have conceived Noah seems to be of a flesh and blood being, uh, not a spirit. Yeah, and even... And uh, Enoch even talk, uh, tells him what the uh, child is to be named, much like how the uh, angel tells Joseph what what his uh, child is to be named. Uh, the stories are definitely not identical, but they are similar in format. And the, the reason behind that may be, as you mentioned, is a you know, prevalent theme in the minds of religious teachers back during that time period, which is the coming of the age of, uh, of the Messiah. Someone is going to be born to save all of humanity from all the evil and terrible things that are going on in the world. Right. And the reason behind this belief in the in this dawning of uh, the age of the Messiah may be rooted in the oral tradition of angels being at war in heaven uh, and Lucifer and his demons being cast out of heaven and sin then propagating throughout the universe after the fall of man, uh, as is put in the in the book of Genesis. And as you said, the scribes and rabbis during this four to 500 year period were actually almost obsessed with uh, these spiritual themes, as was the idea that no one, or I'm sorry, as is the idea that one would uh, come to make everything right. Uh, it, it wasn't really a brand new idea. It's one that has always been around, but it seems that during this time frame, which is where the New Testament and the story of Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Son of God, uh, comes from. Uh, that it was a strongly revitalized and told by people in a new way. And the idea, of course, is based on earlier myths that were passed on from generation to generation over and over again. And it is possibly those myths that tell of when a time of that alien beings were once here on Earth with humans. And that could be where we get the source material for these scriptural characters like the devil and the demons. Uh, it could be from stories about ancient astronauts who were then later identified as the Watchers or the Fallen Ones, as we have them in the Book of Enoch. Interestingly enough, uh, in chapters eight and nine, they gave they gave up their places with God or the Elohim, uh, Hebrew for God in the plural, uh, after marriage to their human wives uh, that they taught mankind. You know um, uh, things like uh, metal urgy husbandry, uh, jewelry making. Um, this uh, um, It's sort of analogous uh, to the idea of sharing technology. It's, a, it's actually what it sounds like they're doing and when they're saying they're teaching mankind or they're sharing technology. Right. Well, this is sort of, you know, um, analogous just to um, uh, sharing uh, that technology. It, it's, it's similar to that. And, um, and it also gives their the names which the Bible doesn't do. So here we find a problem with the traditional view of the angels. If they are spirits, then how were they able to fall in love or even lust for women, like it says? Um, how were they able to pro procreate? Right? Uh, for that to happen, they would have to be flesh and blood, some type of organic. Um, something else to consider is that angels are depicted as having wings. Um, if an if an angel is a spirit, then why would it need wings to keep it aloft? And the answer is they don't need wings because or but because they did fly around and because ancient humans didn't comprehend the 
concept of flight and technology and could not provide the technical language needed to explain it, they illustrated angels as being able to fly by having wings. So think about it. Wings make physical objects fly in the air. An angel shouldn't need wings to fly if they're spirits. They don't need to follow the laws of aerodynamics in order to move around above our heads. Right. In reality, they, uh, they could be describing what could have been uh, pilots of the ancient skies. And Genesis uses the term sons of God, but Enoch calls them angels, the children of heaven. There's no confusion as to who these beings really were. To ancient people, they were called angels from heaven, but to modern people, they would be called extraterrestrials descending from space. Yeah, and the book of Enoch gets uh, into even more detail, saying that the prophet was taken by two angels named Somalia and uh, Ragula. Um, you know, it's almost a plethora of revelation, of divine revelation, and shows a supernatural world that we as people have always strived to comprehend and experience on a uh, personal level, that of seeing what uh, Enoch saw. It also depicts God as having incredible wisdom and power to enable us to escape death. I mean, I mean, why was such a book excluded from the Bible when it's quoted so frequently, right? Yeah, I know. Um, really, that's true. Well, you have to wonder why the book of Enoch is excluded from the canon. You know, without reading it, we don't get the elaboration of some of the themes that are in the scriptures. You know, take, for instance, the illusion given by John the Evangelist in Roman, I'm sorry, not Romans, but Revelation uh, 12, 4, to a third of the angels, a third of the stars of heaven, being thrown to earth by the dragon's tail. And if these sons of heaven are the fallen ones, then they could be the same ones who are referenced as the third who fell with Lucifer, which means the morning star uh, from Isaiah 14, 12. Uh, most likely... The answer is yes, but without having the book of Enoch as part of the Bible, it really leaves a, a big gaping hole in the Judeo-Christian theology, uh, leaving the believer to wonder what the source for this idea is and wh where it came from, of there once being a, a war in heaven. Um, could the reason why it's excluded, at least it's excluded from the Western Bible, is that is because it actually is describing ancient astronauts. Oh, Absolutely. I mean, most Christ Christians and Jewish denominations will not accept the uh, Enoch narrative into their canons because they say it isn't inspired like the other books. This is a lame excuse to not have this amazing work included with the others. It's even hypocritical to say such a thing, to, to not accept the book as part of the canon, but to have it quoted in places in the New Testament, which obviously are considered as inspired. But it could be that the reason it was excluded is because it reveals too much, too much special knowledge about our prehistoric origins and about God, meaning too much information about extraterrestrial nature of it all. Right. Uh, even Jesus makes reference to the book of Enoch in all four of the Gospels. Uh, we find references in the epistles, like in Jude 1, 14 through 15, and Second Peter 2, 4. Uh, one of the most recognizable passages that conflates Enoch with Jesus' parables is in Luke 16, 19-26, where the beggar Lazarus uh, and the rich man die, and Lazarus goes into Abraham's bosom while the rich man goes to the abyss. The rich man can see the two of them and pleads with Abraham to allow Lazarus to dip his finger in the water and, and cool his tongue with it, but Abraham says he cannot for their reason, being that there's a great gulf that separates them, and no one can pass it. 
there is a parallel to this in Enoch 22, 10-11, where it says that there is a chasm of water and a light above it where the spirits of the dead are separated. So even if the text itself was, uh, wasn't floating around or you know, floating around the time, um, the oral tradition about it definitely was being circulated uh, among the Pharisees whom Jesus was speaking to. Yeah, James also used it. And, you know, the epistle of Jude begins by saying Enoch was the seventh from Adam. Well, according to the Sumerian kings list, Enmendurana was the seventh antediluvian king, which is a similar story to that of Enoch's abduction experience. While Enoch was taken by two angels, Enmendurana was taken by two gods, Shemesh and Adad. Again, a pretty close parallel, especially when with both of them being shown the secret knowledge of heaven. This was not at all elaborated on in Genesis. So uh, if I'm going to believe a story, I'm most likely going to believe the, you know, the more detailed one. Sure. And another thing to note is that Enmendurana is Babylonian. Enmendurana is the Sumerian name for Enoch. And Enmendurana is the seventh name on the Sumerian king list. In like manner, Enoch is the seventh on the list of patriarchs found in the book of Genesis. Uh, both of these figures are said to be taken away up to heaven and to have observed firsthand the glory of the gods or the Elohim, as is found in the Hebrew text. So wh whoever these scribes were who were expounding upon the story of Enoch, they may have translated their works from the same sources by which the Sumerian king list existed, uh, which lists them uh, living in the thousands of years, not, not the hundreds of years. And if Enoch is one of these kings, then we can definitely see a parallel among the ancient traditions about the world before the Great Flood, and that being a world with extraterrestrial beings living here. So this is recorded in the, in the king list. Um, you know, these incredible, incredibly long lifespans are recorded. And uh, this Sumerian king list is a real thing. It's, it's a real artifact, and it's on display in the Ashmolean uh, Museum in Oxford, England. And really, you know, if, if these patriarchs had lived in the thousands of years, as is said in the Sumerian king list, then the biblical timeline is, is certainly way off. Yeah, I agree. Um, so let's look at the, at the famous tale of the, uh, the sons of God in Genesis 6. And these sons of God, or as Enoch 7 refers to them, the children of heaven, they descended from the sky and saw that the daughters of men, the human females, were were beautiful, and they decided to marry and have sex with them. Now, because of this mating, a giant offspring known as the Nephilim were formed. In this regard, Genesis and Enoch are a parallel, but the latter eventually goes into greater detail about how all this nearly led to our demise when an angry God decided to end everything in the Great Flood. Right. And in Genesis 6, 4-14, it says that the Lord told Noah that he is going to put an end the earth because there's so much wickedness. In Enoch 10, 2-14, it has the Most High, the Great and Holy One, sending the angel Uriel, uh, or Uriel to tell Noah that the whole earth is, will perish in a deluge, and he is to be instructed on how to escape that. It also says that the reason this will happen is because the children of the Watchers have corrupted the earth, and Aziel, who taught weapon-making to mankind, was mostly to blame for this. And he was to be severely punished for it. You know, we actually touched upon that in our previous episode where Enoch seems to explain that alien technology 
that being know-how from beyond our earth has helped humanity survive since our beginning. Uh, if it was these fallen angels who helped us, then we see it being laid uh, out in the uh, book of Enoch. According to the Bible, it was a lone serpent who deceived the first humans into obtaining uh, knowledge. Yet Enoch attributes the fallen ones, the, the watchers, as the ones who created, you know, uh, or cheated, rather, the uh, evolution and jump-started human ingenuity. Well, with the Genesis account, we can see how over time um, believers came to accept the orthodox view of God in the flood story because it has way less information, thereby giving uh, more leeway to religious teachers to expound and impart you know, their spiritual meaning to it um, as sort of a catechism. And there are fewer details that are known that can be used to challenge the thesis. However, because of the details laid out in the Book of Enoch, it's not difficult to see that it is talking about ancient alien contact. It's in the details, such as the naming of the individual fallen ones, uh, the mention of how they made pack and took an oath to marry human females and their tutelage to humans of their advanced uh, knowledge in order to assist our development and to make our lives better. And this must have been going on for quite some time before the other races out there found out about humanity's progresses or progress under the uh, you know mentorship of extraterrestrials. If this is the case, then it's no wonder that the Book of Enoch has been suppressed by the church. So the problem with understanding some portions of the Book of Enoch is from the descriptions given by the authors who wrote it. Um, it, it can be frustrating because the book is describing events through the understanding of an ancient mind, which is what we have to keep in, in our mind. Um, if we could see what was described by Enoch, we would definitely know what he had observed. Since there is no way of seeing what he saw, we are left going off of this you know, peculiar and strange imagery that he, uh, that he lists. And we must also remember that Enoch is probably not meant to be taken as a literal truth. And the same hermeneutics involved with studying the Bible need also to be applied to any apocryphal books um, like that of Enoch. Right. And consider how in uh, chapters 12 and 13, after the watchers mated with human females, that they pled for forgiveness from the Lord. Now, the Lord isn't having it, though, and he uses Enoch to be a messenger to them. According to chapter 15, God, the great benevolent being, uh, could not bring himself to scorn the watchers. Um, instead, he had a mere human, a mortal human, uh, do it for him. And in verse 2, the message God gives is his disdain for how they behaved like men and they married human wives, which caused them to defile themselves by having sex. So this race of watchers must have been of a similar DNA in order for this to work. After all, we were created in their image and after their likeness, right? So, I mean, humans would have had to be genetically capable for them to have sex with them. You know, pretty much being, you know, something of the same species with compatible DNA. Well, the wording in, in these chapters is similar in tone to how God communicates to Noah his wrath towards humanity for, for all of this that you're talking about. And just like in the Bible, there seems to be more than one personality playing the part of God. And this, of course, is a clue to it being the confabulation of multiple literary sources all stitched into one book. And also notice how in chapter 13, verse uh, 5, it says that they all became terrified and trembled. 
Oddly enough, this is exactly what is said about how the shepherds reacted in Luke 2, 8 through 10, when the angels appeared to them to announce Jesus' birth. Yeah, so in chapter 10, listen to how God proclaims his judgment. In those days, meaning the post-flood days, all the earth shall be cultivated in righteousness. It shall be planted with trees, and every tree of delight shall be planted in it. Uh, in verse 24, uh, or uh, in it shall the vines be planted, and the vine um, which shall be planted in it shall yield fruit to, to society. Uh, every seed uh, which shall be sown in it shall produce for one measure a thousand and one measure of olives shall produce ten presses of oil. Um, this is telling how we came to have fruit and olive trees to begin with. Now, there's a problem with the next few verses because what God says will happen actually never does. It goes on in 25, purify the earth from all oppression, from all injustice, from all crime, from all impiety, and from all the pollution which is committed upon it. Exterminate them from the earth. 26, then shall all the children of men be righteous, and all nations shall pay them divine honors and bless them and shall adore them. Um, the earth shall be cleansed from all corruption, from every crime, from all punishment, and from all suffering. Neither will I again send a deluge upon it from generation to generation forever. In those days, I will open the treasures of heaven, which are in heaven, that I may cause them to descend upon earth and upon all the works and labor of man. And peace and equity uh, shall associate with the sons of men all the days uh, of the world in every generation of it. Now, reading that, I think it's safe to assume that none of these promises that God made here had ever come to be. Nope, as injustice, not. oppression, crime, impiety, and pollution, among other things, has continued to plague the world for the whole time humanity has been around since this great reset of the flood, so to speak. But now, listen to what Enoch says the watchers request him to do on their behalf. Uh, in uh, 6, it says, beseeching me to write for them, this is angels asking them to write for them, a memorial of supplication that they might obtain forgiveness, and that I, Enoch, might make the memorial of their prayer ascend up before the God of heaven, because they could not themselves thenceforwards address him, nor raise up their eyes to heaven on account of the disgraceful offense for which they were judged. This is a weird way for spiritual entities to behave, don't you think? Yeah, I do. It's an extraordinarily strange um, depiction of angels. Uh, and, and yes, like you mentioned, yeah, uh, you know, all those things of injustice, oppression, crime, and, and pollution, oddly it says pollution in the text. Um, yeah, they, they we're far from that. You know, there's never been a time where that stuff didn't uh, plague mankind. Um, and, and yeah, after all that, uh, then there is Enoch's weird vision. And it begins in chapter 14, where he is taken aloft. And uh, it says he, he saw the large rivers as he was ascending. Uh, until he arrived at the great darkness, which uh, it, he must be talking about outer space. Uh, he describes the earth from being way up high and even mentions seeing the flight paths of the angels. Uh, Enoch then claims to travel to the bottom of the earth, to the south, as it says, to where the great waters collect. Uh, this could refer to Antarctica. 
chapter 18 is a little confusing and is a little difficult to decipher. He talks about beholding the four winds, uh, the cornerstone of the earth, the firmament, and the winds uh, that turn the sky. Uh, very encrypted stuff. Um, it, it can only be assumed that he is struggling, you know, as a guy from the Stone Age, <laughs> uh, to to express what he sees as he's being rocketed up into space. He is using the words that only are known to him from his worldview to try to tell about what it is like to experience being in being in orbit. <laughs> yeah, uh, it appears that Enoch is getting a bird's eye perspective of everything because in chapter nineteen, Uriel, the angel Uriel. Uh, speaks to him about the place where the angels conspired together and cohabited with women, which would be Mount Hermon, where, the, like you said earlier, the 200 descended. And going back to chapter 18, verses 14 through 18, the seven stars must be, there's seven stars that were mentioned, they must be the seven other planets in the solar system, since he is already speaking about Earth. And according to ancient observers, uh, the planets are like stars when looking at them from Earth, just like we see see them today. He, you know, he also mentioned how they, you know, came not in their proper season, but this seems to harken back to the Babylonian creation myth, the Anuba Elish, in which planet Marduk slash Nibiru is said to throw everything out of its place when in when the solar system was formed, when it passed by the sun, when it came in on its elliptical orbit. It caused havoc and chaos like that of a cue ball breaking the rack on a pool table, I guess, you know, knocking all the balls around. Mm -hmm. So in chapter 21, um, he says he comes about full circle and making it seem that he traveled from one end of the solar system, possibly to the other. Then in chapters 22 and 23, he describes what could be purgatory, I guess, or four different places of holding uh, for men's souls, you know, waiting until the great judgment. Then in chapter 17, Enoch mentions that he was taken up to a place that was like a burning fire. Um, that's when he said that they, the angels, assumed a likeness of men. Now, I look at this as, you know, I see this as alien pilots removing their spacesuit helmets after reaching a destination and oh, it's safe now to take off the, you know, the helmets and therefore, you know, revealing who they really are. It's like that movie Stargate, right? Where the uh, uh, the Egyptian gods touched a, a button on their on their wrists and the, the armor rescinds on their body to reveal a human being. Yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's a great analogy, actually. <laughs> and all, all this makes you think that, you know, whoever these scribes were who were writing this uh, the book of Enoch, they had way more knowledge about astronomy than we give them credit for. Uh, very, very interesting, very peculiar, very encrypted. And, and you know, we were to go on to the following chapters, uh, 20 through 36. Uh, Enoch says that how, how he flew over northern Africa uh, and also parts of India. Um, he, he mentions the trees that grow with frankincense and myrrh, which originated in, in those countries. He also talks about flying over the Ethereum Sea, which is probably meant to mean the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, and this is after he had flown over seven mountain peaks, probably the French Alps or the, the Himalayas. Uh, this was done while he was traveling to the Garden of Eden to meet the angel Raphael. So again, while this all seems to be very mystical verbiage, the, the thing is the source material for it may have a close association to older accounts of ancient astronauts. Yeah, then the uh, remaining chapters are about God's judgment, about hell, and about the gates of heaven from where 
the sun and the moon travel, all very strange details. Uh, it's difficult to explain a 106 chapter book when you have less than two weeks to do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. If, if you take it up on yourselves uh, to read the whole thing, you, you'll see more descriptions of so-called clouds that you know, cannot be seen through and, and that move from side to side and have blazing fires. So um, it even mentions a holy race from the heavens descending to share seed with humans. Like, wow. <laughs> um, it really seems like this ancient manuscript is describing alien contacts. And our, our world had a completely different beginning from what we have been taught. And that aliens had once arrived here to mingle and mate with us. And this is supported by the literary tradition. Consider how Enoch talks about a utopian world. Well, a utopian world is said to have existed on Earth at one time in the distant past. And that world is none other than the fabled civilization called Atlantis. Yes, there are certainly some very intriguing connections among all these facts of mythology, which the Book of Enoch seems to lay out rather concisely. A very fascinating subject. So we'll end it here for today and then continue to examine the Enoch text on our next show uh, by looking more into the second book titled The Secrets of Enoch which is the one referred to as the Slavonic text, and the third one as well. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to cover them as they are uh, much shorter than this, the first book, uh, the, the, the Ethiopian texts, which we were talking about uh, today. Yeah, there's uh, definitely more we want to discuss about how this mysterious manuscript has uh, sort of secretly influenced not only Christian doctrine and the uh, composition of the Bible, but also reveals how extraterrestrial entities may have been at work in human history. So. And we want to wish all of you out there Merry Christmas and uh, Happy Holidays. Be safe and have fun this season. And we hope you uh, join us in two weeks, which will be uh, New Year's Day for our second episode on the mysteries and strange visions from the Book of Enoch. Yes, for sure. Uh, we hope all of you everywhere have a great holiday season. Uh, get with us on Facebook if you get a chance and send us uh, any of your comments or questions. We, we would love to hear from you. So thanks for joining us and stay curious. Happy holidays, everyone. Uh, we look forward to being with you again in the new year. Bye now.